Cairo, Seattle. It's time to get schooled with a professor, John Clayton. And welcome to Schooled with a Professor. This is one show that I've been so much looking forward to because it's great to be able to talk to my former colleague, Seth Wickersham, uh, from ESPN, the magazine and ESPN. And he did an incredible book. It's called, uh, you know, It's Better to Be Feared. It's going to be a on the streets on October the 12th. I mean, you can pre-order it. You can do all these things. It's going to be in the stands. But this thing is going to be great because it really deals with what's happened with the New England Patriots. And there's a lot of stuff that the Patriots don't seem to be happy with. But again, you know, knowing Seth, he's always been able to get stuff that uh, nobody likes, That uh, is, but it's all true. So, Seth, thanks for being with us. And uh, what got you onto this book? Hey, thanks, man. I appreciate it. You know, it was interesting. I, uh, the publisher was the one who came up with the idea, and they kind of came to me. But um, as you know, and you know, going back to when we were colleagues together, you know, I started ESPN in, in 2000, and one of my very first stories was in November of 2001 on this 24-year-old out of Michigan who was playing pretty well in service of Drew Bledsoe and was probably going to return to the bench when Bledsoe was healthy. And so I went up to New England and interviewed him. And, you know, as you know from our time together, the Patriots were just always there. You know, they were not only great, but they were so great in a weird way that every other story you wrote about about success in the NFL was viewed within the context of them being so dominant. And so I felt like I just had a good base of knowledge from two decades covering them and covering the NFL, and then figured I'd hit the road and do some reporting and try to put together a book that hopefully people will like. Yeah, no question about it. And I think everybody's going to like this book, except maybe uh, Bill Belichick and different people and that. But I mean, the biggest thing that you got into, you know, was the I guess a lot of the breakup that ended up happening with uh, Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, and all that stuff. I mean, when did that really start? Well, the turning point was after they beat the Falcons in the Super Bowl. They just won their fifth. And, um, you know, it was a a historic win. Um, No coach and quarterback had ever won five Super Bowls. And so when things just – the dynamic in the the building just changed. You know, Tom became more interested in – not more interested, but as but he became interested in promoting his business. His TV12 book came out. He participated in the Tom versus Time documentary. He wanted a contract that would take him, guarantee him until he was 45 years old. The Patriots were not only reticent about that, but they also, you know, they 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 there was just a lot of tension in the building. You know, Jimmy Garoppolo was still around for half the year, and Bill was deeply invested in him. And Alex Guerrero, Brady's business partner and body coach, got his access curtailed halfway through the season by Belichick because there was some divisions going on within the team due to him and due to the Patriots trainers. So a lot of that's where it kind of started. Now, they were able to keep things together, and, and generally speaking, Robert Kraft did a great job of, of keeping them together but that's, that, that single issue, a guaranteed contract until he was age 45, allowing Tom Brady to play and accomplish his long-standing goal of playing that long, the Patriots were just never willing to do that. And it, it wasn't just Bill Belichick. It was an organizational decision. At the Super Bowl, when the Chiefs played the 49ers, you know, Brady was due to be a free agent in, in a little bit more than a month. And Kraft was telling other owners, look, we want Tom, but not until he's 45 years old. Mm-hmm. 
So and and, and so that I'll I'll put uh, Tom in a position to say, like, okay, I'm frustrated with this. I mean, at that point, how is the relationship with uh, Tom and Bill Belichick falling apart? Well, it was strained, and it, you know, August of 2019 was a tough month because. Brady was trying to negotiate a contract, and um, he almost left camp in protest because he was so frustrated with how things were going. Now, remember, this is months after Brady and Belichick had just won their sixth Super Bowl. And um, Brady ended up getting what was a one-year deal with a raise and an out to be an unrestricted free agent at the end of the season. So he signed that deal in training camp, and then... Uh, he and Giselle Bunchen put their house in Brookline, Massachusetts, up for sale 48 hours later. And as he, said, as he has said publicly, he knew that right then that it was probably his last year in New England. And, of course, you go, you go back, and, of course, you know, there was two years where uh, he didn't go to the off-season program. I mean, he showed up for minicamp and all that stuff, but he missed the off-season program. And so you can see a strain that had been developing then. Yeah, well, and, and that was after that. I, I referenced the 2017 season. So they go to the Super Bowl that year. They lose to the Eagles. It was a brutal loss. I mean, the Patriots put up 600 yards of offense and don't punt, and they somehow lost the game. And Brady skips the entire mandatory, I'm sorry, the entire voluntary offseason program. And um, for a while, it seemed that he wanted out from his Patriots contract, and Robert Kraft was not inclined to let him out of his contract. He felt like they had just traded Jimmy Garoppolo and Brady was their present and their future. And and, and finally, though, Kraft came around and he said, look, if you want out, um, I'll let you out of your contract. And, and Brady ended up saying, no, I'll, I'll figure it out on my end and we can you know, go from there. But um, that was a contentious offseason. And you know, it's been reported by our friend Ian O'Connor in his book Belichick that Brady wanted a, quote, divorce from Belichick, from Belichick that offseason. Mm-hmm. I love the one comment that, uh, you know, I don't know who uh, in the media in uh, New England talked about the retirement of Rob Gronkowski. But uh, Gronk retired, and he said he didn't retire from football. He just retired from Bill Belichick. Yeah, and, you know, Gronk was one of those, you know, football broke him. And, you know, he was in a lot of pain, and he, you know, the grind of the Belichick program wore on him also. And so I think that that observation was absolutely astute. Yeah, no question. And, of course, uh, it, it was just so different. And then, uh, you know, and I know one of the things that you reported in the book is that, uh, you know, that one of the Robert Kraft uh, was quoted talking not in public, but talking to somebody else and showing his disfavor with Bill Belichick. Yeah, well, there was a conference. You know, I think that, like, when you look at Robert Kraft, he'll probably end up in the Hall of Fame, and one of the reasons is because he so masterfully mm-hmm. kept this band together for so long. But it doesn't mean that it didn't come without frustrations at times. And in the fall of 2018, he was an Aspen at a conference um, in the lobby of a hotel, and he goes, you know, I hate to, like, leave all these brilliant minds here. i got to leave and go to Detroit to be with the biggest effing a-hole in my life, my head coach. Only he didn't use the word effing or a-hole. Yeah, I know, exactly. And, of course, uh, it shows that. And so now where does that put Belichick? Because, you know, all of a sudden, I mean, people may be reading too much into it, maybe not. But the fact that Brady goes to Tampa, they win, they win the Super Bowl. 
uh, Brady leaves New England, they have a losing season, and then you look at them right now, and they look like a very average football team despite the despite the money they spent on offense. I mean, is Bill Belichick somehow, some way in trouble? I don't think so. I mean, there's nothing that I've heard on that front, um, and. Uh, you know, considering what he's done for that organization, you'd think he's earned the right to walk away whenever he wants. Um, all that said, he is 69 years old. Obviously, Pete Carroll out in Seattle is coaching, you know, past that age. But we'll see. Belichick once said, you know, I'm not going to be like Marv Levy coaching in my 70s. Um, he's getting close to that, so we'll, we'll see. I don't know when he's going to walk away. Yeah, no doubt. But, of course, uh, you know, you're right. He's earned the right because I mean, you have the greatest quarterback all-time in Tom Brady and probably the greatest coach in Bill Belichick. Absolutely. And, and he's, he's always been a little different than, as we know, than a lot of great coaches. But one of the ways is that he has always wanted to leave the franchise in good shape whenever he transitions out of that role, whether it's you know, to go to another team and as sort of a team president type of deal or just to retire. And, and one of the key elements of that is, ha- is having them set up at quarterback long term. He has way too much pride for him to walk away and the team to fall apart. And I think that, you know, look at Mac Jones, the way he's playing this year. Obviously, it's early in the season, but he hit 19 straight passes the other night against the defending Super Bowl champions in the rain. Um, they're doing a good job of coaching him, and he's a good player. And you know, when Bill Walsh, for instance, walked away from the 49ers in 1989, he was kind of hoping that team would flop without him. And instead, they, you know, go 14-2 and two and win the Super Bowl. Bill wants the team to be good whenever he leaves so that, you know, people could always say that he made the best decisions for the organization um, at all times. So, I mean, the luck of getting Mac Jones with the 15th pick I mean, obviously, as you say, there's not going to be any change, and there shouldn't be. But that does put them in a good position long term. Well, if he continues to play well, you know, we'll see. It's only been a month. But, you know, right now he he looks like, you know, a very good pick. And, you know, he was a little shaky at the very beginning of that game, but he really settled into a groove and, you know, if, if his at the end of that game, he's driving them down the field, trying to get in field goal range. And on third down, he made a, a quick read under pressure and was throwing to a receiver who was wide open. But the ball was tipped at the line of scrimmage. And if that ball is not tipped, you know, I think that they win that game. When you when you look back at uh, Bill Bel, what, what is it with Bill Belichick and his relationship with players? Because you know, off and on, I mean, I, you know, I was if, if there's a fear factor that everybody says with Bill Belichick because you don't want to say anything bad about him. But I mean, you go to Ted Johnson and some of the guys like that. I mean, sometimes I mean he can be tough to deal with. Absolutely, and I think that he's one of those guys that like when you're in the foxhole with him. He's brutal, and I have a lot of reporting, for instance, during that 2007 season when they nearly went undefeated, that um, I think is some of the, the best stuff in the book. It's not for public airwaves, though. But you see how he motivates the team and is kind of unafraid. If they have to rally around one guy who you know, will always point out their flaws and who they'll, they'll have a level of friction for, he's okay with it being him. And then on the other side, you know, but when they're gone – he tends to loosen up 
quite a bit and pretty quickly. But um, you know, I think that like you know the the way that he is. There's definitely been a lot of fractured relationships over the years, um, you know, due in part to, to, you know, the way that he kind of manages. Yeah, that, and that's the thing, too. It's like when, when you look at it and you look at big Tom Brady, because obviously, you know, early in his career, in the first like 10 years or so, uh, when the opportunity was there, he was going to be paid the best. And then he took the position for whatever reason. It's like, OK, I'll, I'll take a little bit less as long as you get me more. But one thing about Bill is that, you know, he'll take some of the best players on his team and then get rid of them, you know, before they uh, start to decline. You know, they did it with, I mean, again, Chandler Jones turned out to be a mistake because he's been great. But Richard Seymour, you go through a whole list of players. What about that philosophy? Yeah, well, it, you know, it's a philosophy that, that he learned, you know, watching Paul Brown and Tom Landry and, you know, really Bill Walsh. You know, he wrote that, that book that coaches love called um, Finding the Winning Edge. And, you know, a lot of that philosophy is about emotionless decision-making. And, and, you know, he clearly has taken that to the nth degree um, in New England. And, you know, it continues, even if at times it looks like they're squandering assets. Like, you know, this week with Stephon Gilmore trading him for only a six-round pick to the Carolina Panthers. But, you know, that's that's who he is. And even letting, you know, opening the door for Tom Brady to walk through it in, in 2020. I mean, that's just, it's who he is. And, and he'll, he adapts in a lot of ways, but but in terms of that, he really hasn't. One of the things I found amazing in the last two years Brady was in New England was, you know, even though he took the lesser contract and all that stuff, was how starved he was for wide receivers and tight end. And how much do you think that negatively affected Tom's ability to want to stay? Yeah, I think that, you know, look, they've always – uh, and it's it, okay. So it's, you have to deal with this with a little bit of nuance because, you know, Belichick drafted the greatest tight end ever. So it's mm-hmm. not like he can't fix the position. But they've struggled with developing receivers. I think there was one year that before the season they had had 28 transactions at wide receiver, um, and that was before the season even started. And so that was a league high. It was it was clear that that was an it was a struggle to draft and develop receivers. And I think that part of it is because. They run this kind of precise improvisational offense, and it's hard to play receiver in that system. And, you know, that last playoff game in New England for Brady, when they played the Tennessee Titans, and, you know, they only scored 13 points, I think. And, you know, that's what it just looked like this run was finally coming to an end, even though the official end came a couple months later because – Brady was struggling to fit the ball into windows, and Brady's receivers were struggling to separate. Yeah, no doubt. And that that's the thing I find amazing is he goes down to Tampa Bay, and he's got uh, Mike Evans. You know, he's got uh, Chris Godwin. You know, he gets Gronk back out of retirement. I mean, here he was. I mean, he was looking at the most talent he had at the skilled position that he's ever been. Well, maybe, you know, I think that some of those years – in New England, you know, I think that they had a pretty strong, you know, obviously 2007, he had a great cast. And mm-hmm. I think that when Gronk was healthy and Edelman was really rolling, you know, that was a pretty hard hard team to to stop in the passing game. But, you know, that said, yeah, I mean, he just picked up 
And, you know, they had success last year, and it took a while, but they were kind of running Bruce Arians' offense with a little bit of Tom Brady. And I think that in December, when they really got it going, Tom kind of took over the offense. And he he's never been one who's like, oh, we have to pass or we have to run. He wants to do the highest percentage play in any given situation. And when Belichick made the remark a couple weeks ago that, you know, the offense he sees Tom Brady running is the same offense he's run his entire career, kind of offended Bruce Arians, but he's right. I mean, Brady is the one running that offense in Tampa. No doubt about it. So now what do you see happening uh, at least over the next couple years in New England? Man, if I had that crystal ball, uh, yeah, I um, I, you know, I think that I think that what we're going to see is, you know, does Mac Jones continue to develop, and then you know, does he? Do, how does this year play out? Do they make the playoffs? I mean, obviously, people last year looked at New England like they had a hard year, but you know, they went seven and nine. It wasn't like they went one and fifteen without Brady. So we'll see. You know, I think that one of the most interesting things we talk about the differences between Brady and Belichick, but one of the most interesting similarities that they have, a personality trait, is that nobody is able to kind of believe in the future like they do. Nobody has ever been able to believe in the power and the possibilities of the next play, the next down like these two guys do. You see it with Tom Brady where playing out on a global stage where he rallies the Patriots back from double-digit fourth-quarter deficits in Super Bowls twice against the Seahawks and the Falcons. And, and all of these great goal-line stands that Bill Belichick's defenses have engineered over the years, even going back to, like, 1986 when he was the Giants' defensive coordinator and they played the Broncos in the Super Bowl, these guys refused to concede an inch to anybody else's idea of the inevitable. And so it's not going to surprise me at all if New England, even though they're just 1-3 and three right now, puts together a good season because – you know, these guys just continue to evolve and believe, and it, it, it sounds like a very normal trait, but when you really get to it, it's, it's a very rare characteristic that these guys have. Well, it's a, it's, it's a great book. It's called It's Better to Be Feared. It comes out October the 12th on Tuesday, and uh, it looks like the reviews are great, and I think it's probably the most impactful book in sports we've had this year. Seth Wickersham, Thank you, as always. Great to be with you. Still miss working with you, but uh, great job in this book. Thanks, buddy. Great to talk to you, as always. And that does it for this week's podcast. In between episodes, you can follow me on Twitter at Clayton ESPN. If you enjoy these weekly one-on-one conversations, consider leaving a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to the show. Thanks for listening. See you next time on Schooled with a Professor.